that takes me to Psalm 51 where David, after significant sin, murder and adultery, prayed to the Lord, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's the beauty of forgiveness uh, that really is complete. And uh, I love, too, the fact that the song included the words, come, let us reason together. Again, those are scriptural words. And uh, the way I view that is uh, sometimes we have a hard time believing God would forgive us of what we've done. And so he says, come on, let's talk about this. I want to convince you. I've forgiven you. Beautiful, beautiful music. Thank you. Let's turn in uh, God's Word. We're going to be looking today at Proverbs 3 as we continue our series uh, in this really interesting book. Uh, last week after the sermon on Sunday, one of uh, my friends here uh, sent me an email and uh, in it he said, uh, I think I have been more convicted of sin during this series on Proverbs than uh, I can remember in recent time. And then he went on to say, I might just quit coming. Now, he was joking. He wasn't leaving. But then he said something I thought was really, really helpful and important. And he says, this comes from a pastor friend of his who says, all this conviction of sin hurts like heaven. And what he meant by that is there's something painful about conviction. It's very difficult to see the reality of our own hearts and how dark they can be at times. But there's something really healing about it when God is touching us and opening up our eyes to see that because what he wants to do is to heal that. He he wants to take us to a new place. He wants to enable us to experience more of the kind of life that he wants for us. At the beginning of Proverbs 3, what we saw is that God wants for us what uh, is called peace or shalom. It is a sense of well-being, a sense of joy, even in the midst of circumstances that might not give us too much happiness. The only way, though, for us to really experience that is to engage in this battle, this daily battle of turning from our sin and turning towards God, because that's when uh, we begin more and more to live according to God's design for our lives. And so it's in that time when we kind of live into God's pattern for our lives that we enjoy what he wants to give us, this this real sense of well-being, even in different circumstances. So to get there, we've got to turn from sin. Let's talk about sin a minute. I want to ask you a question. How would you define sin? So uh, in our day, believe it or not, it wouldn't be unusual for someone to to hear us talking about sin and have no clue what we're talking about. And and so if they came up to you and asked you, "What, what is this sin stuff? How do you define sin? How would you define it for them? How would you help them understand it? Well, the Bible gives us a lot of different ways to understand sin. So let me give you a couple of those, uh, starting with probably the most obvious, and that is it is the the breaking of God's law, the the breaking of God's commandments. 
We, we understand that. Then, as we saw last week, it's also rebellion against God. When we sin, we are actually rebelling against our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Lord, who is the one alone who has the right to rule our lives. And so, as we saw, that means it's evil. This rebellion against God means our sin is actually evil, even the, the lesser sins. But I want to look at sin in another way this morning. In 1995, Neil Plantica wrote a book about sin. Uh, we were living in Scotland. I bought a copy of the book and was getting on a train and started reading. And chapter one is called The Vandalism of Shalom. And that's actually his definition of sin. It is the vandalism of shalom. It is the tearing down what God is building up. So again, shalom has to do with our own personal well-being, but also, as we're going to see this morning, shalom has to do with the way we are looking out for our neighbor, uh, the way we are seeking to, be, to bring joy into the lives of our neighbors and, and have their well-being at heart. And so, we're either then working with God to extend this shalom or we're working against God to tear it down. Before the fall, that's the way we were. Individually, we enjoyed this wonderful sense of well-being. All is right. And, and we cared about other people in such a way that we intentionally worked toward their well-being. And when Christ returns, that's the way it's going to be again. But in the meantime, God is seeking uh, to build that kind of uh, life in, in relationships between God's people. And so, again, are we joining him in that effort or are we tearing it down? I, I had this picture in my mind as I was thinking about this past week. And uh, it's like, you know, when we were kids and we built a, a sandcastle on the beach we put all this work into it, and we're standing back and admiring it, and some jerk walks by and just jumps on our, on our sandcastle and just destroys our hard work. Well, we're destroying God's hard work if we are not working toward the shalom of our neighbor. So, let's take a look. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 27. And what you'll see is every verse here is related to our treating of other people. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The upright, in other words, are part of his small circle. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, uh, we want to enjoy life as you intended uh, for it to be. And yet it takes work, uh, hard work, and, and sometimes doing things which are very contrary to our fallen nature. And so help us, uh, not only teach us, but strengthen us to do what you call us to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
in my uh, recent blog post, I, I said that COVID-19 has been really fertile ground for conflict. I mean, we see it all around us, but uh, it's been reported, uh, for instance, that uh, domestic violence has skyrocketed, divorce has skyrocketed, and uh, one article in the Journal of, Amer- of uh, the American Medical Association even suggested that this pandemic has contributed to the civil unrest in our country. Now, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know, but I do know this. Shalom is being vandalized everywhere we turn. What God is seeking to build up, people are tearing down. And so, again, the question for us today is this, as we think about sin in a little bit different way, perhaps. Are we partnering with God in his great project of extending or building shalom, or are we partnering with the world in tearing it down? Now, let me put this in terms that we're more familiar with. Basically, this is all about living out the second great commandment of loving our neighbors really, really well. That's what this is. And so, do we extend that shalom, that peace, that sense of well-being, that joy uh, to our neighbor? And let's start in our own home. How is that going right now? Are we looking out for the well-being of each other in our homes But it goes beyond that. It goes to our next-door neighbor and the person who sits in the office near us or the desk at school beside us. Uh, The question is, are we extending shalom to our neighbor, whoever God brings into our sphere of influence, or uh, are we loving some people well and treating other people fairly poorly? So, Think about it this way. How about those people that disagree with us? Sometimes in very, very important ways. And we're always going to have disagreements. And we always need to stand for what we believe is right. But but how do we treat the people that disagree with us? You know, do we cancel them out? Do we treat them with scorn instead of love? Do we refer to them as idiots instead of people made in the image of God? We live in a cancel culture, which means it's all the more important that we as followers of Christ show the world that there is another better way to live. And is there any better opportunity that we have ever had in our lifetime to do so when it feels like everybody is at odds with each other? So we can walk into the midst of that and still disagree with people, but do so in a way that brings the light of heaven into the darkness of this earth. God's call for us to love our neighbor really well sets a very high bar. But there's a reason for that. We are to love others as Jesus has loved us. John 13, 34, Jesus said to his disciples, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's how we join God in this great project of building or extending shalom to each other. So what I want to do is make two very, very simple points. First, we must do no harm to others. And second, we must do good to others. Now those are simple points. But they are not easy uh, to live out. So first, we must do no harm to our neighbor. Verse 29 tells us not to plan evil against our neighbor. 
Verse 30 tells us not to contend with our neighbor for no reason. And verse 31 tells us not to do violence to our neighbor. Now, there's a lot there, but I want to focus on verse 30 because that's the one we are more likely to struggle with. And that is that we are not to contend with our neighbor who has given us no reason uh, to contend with them. And if you look at the, the meaning of all that, uh, what, what Solomon is saying is, look, don't, um, don't engage in an unjustified legal dispute with them, for instance. That's, that's kind of one extreme. But on the other hand, it includes uh, ways that we tend to harm our neighbors with our words, even though they've not done anything to really provoke that in us. Now, when we do that, when we harm with our words, which we all do at times, but when we do that, what we're doing is tearing down the shalom that God is seeking to build. Proverbs has an awful lot to say about our words, and we're going to see that later on in this series. But let me just give you one example that fits really well here. Proverbs 12:18 is really, really clear about the difference between those who tear down and those who build up, those who are uh, destroying or vandalizing shalom and those who are extending that shalom. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words become like those sword thrusts when we contend with our neighbor for no good reason. So, so let's think about a very specific example uh, sometimes we get frustrated, even angry with other people, not because they've really done anything necessarily wrong or anything to provoke us, uh, but uh, for whatever reason, because of the brokenness of our own hearts, we, we become angry, we become resentful, and, and our words reflect that. So uh, let's just, let's consider an example. Let's, let's say that uh, it's 10.30 on Thursday night. 10.30 on Thursday night, and my son comes to me and says, Dad, uh, I have a science project due tomorrow morning. And uh, kind of sheepishly says, and I need a few things to put this project together. And so uh, my thoughts are, well, he's had weeks to do this, and he's waited to the last moment, but I'm trying to contain my, my uh, uh, what, what should I say, um, war that's going on in my heart. And uh, so um, I say, what do you need? And he says, well, Dad, I need some poster board. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, uh, we can find some cardboard around the house, put it together. There's your poster board. And uh, then I say, what else do you need? And uh, he says, well, I need some markers. And I'm thinking, okay, we've got a bunch of dried up markers around the house. Let's put some water in them. We'll get through one more project. And uh, then I say, anything else? And, and then he starts to mumble, and he turns his head down, and he says, 12 baby chickens. <laughs> At this point, my face is turning red, and trying to contain myself, I say, well, great. I'll just run down to the all-night chicken store and get us a fresh dozen of baby chickens. Now, let me just tell you, this is not a true story. That has not actually happened. Uh, 
It comes from a, a book called War of Words by Paul Tripp. And in it, as he continues to imagine this event playing out, he, he talks about his own heart and the war that's going on in, in his heart and, and the words he wants to say to his son like, you're an idiot. I can't believe you waited to the last minute. I'm not going to help you. You're crazy. But what he's doing is, is giving us an example where here is his son who, yes, I mean, that's a mistake. It was an oversight. He put it off and put it off and put it off to the last minute. But it wasn't intentionally trying to provoke his father. But, but you get the point. You know, yes, there needs to be some correction, a life lesson at that point, but not anger, not resentment, not words that harm, not the destruction of, uh, of shalom. And, and so the, the thing that I really appreciate about Paul Tripp, though, is he says, you know, the words that come out of our mouths flow from our hearts. And they're a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And so how do, we, how do we wage this war in a godly way? How do we prevent ourselves from sinning even more when we recognize this sin in our hearts? Well, there's, there's, a, there's only one answer to that. And here it is. You can't change yourself. You cannot change your heart. You cannot tell your heart, don't be so angry. God has to change your heart. And that's why we go back to the gospel over and over and over again, because only God's gospel, the good news, can affect us in a way that we really change from the inside out. Um, I, I remember the first time that I kind of saw this played out in my own life. Wade was our first child. He was a toddler, and I was standing over him in the kitchen and he was doing something that was just frustrating me. I had no idea what it was. It wasn't anything sinful. He was just being a toddler. But I was getting more and more frustrated. And just as I was about to say something, I had this sense of my heavenly father standing over me in that same kitchen and saying, Mike, do you not remember how patient I have been with you? when you have done things that are frustrating, when you have done things, quite frankly, that are foolish and sinful. And, and in that moment, I felt my heart just melt uh, toward God and toward my son. Uh, how could I possibly treat my son any differently than I've been treated by my heavenly father? And see, the, the point of that is this. We cannot change our hearts. Only God can do this for us. And so we have to go back to him over and over again. Uh, we cannot kind of uh, step up and, and tell our hearts to do what is right because our hearts won't uh, unless we bring to bear the good news of what God has done for us. So we are not to harm our neighbors, even with our words. All of us have done it, but we are not to do that. Second point, we must do good to our neighbor. We're told in verse 27, uh, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And then in verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. In other words, don't use subterfuge to deny doing someone good if you have it in your ability to do it. Now, I know what that's like. I, I know what it's like to use a, a ploy uh, to put off doing what is right so that I don't really ever have to do it. Uh, sometimes um, when our kids were, um, you know, at a, 
middle school, high school age, and they wanted me, as I got home from work and was tired, to get up and do something with them rather than sit and take a break. Sometimes, uh, rather than getting right up and doing whatever it was they wanted, I would say, I might just do that. And what that meant is, go away for a few minutes, because I really don't want to do that. And I hope, as you go away for a few minutes, you'll forget that you wanted to do it, so that I don't have to do it. That was my ploy to put off doing good when I had it in my ability to do so, hoping that I wouldn't have to do it at all. Now, we are not to use subterfuge to deny doing good. We are to be honest, faithful, straightforward, and to do what is right when it is the right time. But there's another truth here I think that is even more important. It's found in verse 27. And that is that we are not to withhold good from those to whom it is due. There's a really challenging truth here in these words, to whom it is due. And it's difficult to know exactly what it means. Uh, In fact, if you look at different commentators, you'll find slightly different understandings or, or suggestions. Nobody knows exactly what it means because it's possible to be interpreted in different ways. But let me give you two commentators' approach to this that I think help us get at what's here. Uh, the first commentator said this, your neighbor who is in need has some right to consideration from you. Now, that's pretty vague, fairly general, but some right to consideration from you. Another commentator, though, is stronger, and I I think he's really getting at what's here, and he's going to support it uh, with a a biblical illustration. But he said it's not just uh, some right to consideration. It actually is a moral claim upon your assistance. It's It's a moral obligation for us to meet the needs of, of those who are our neighbor's who come to us in need when we have the ability to meet that need. And and this commentator illustrates it with Exodus 23. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under his burden. I mean, you, you get the idea here that even in, uh, even in the Old Testament, uh, there's a, kind of a picture of the Good Samaritan of loving our neighbor even when our neighbor doesn't love us. Our neighbor is someone in need in our sphere of influence. And so if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now, uh, we need to be wise, of course, if we are to help. We're not to help everybody. It's not always the best thing for them. And we need to be wise about how we help and when we help. But in general, we we know that God calls us to take care of our neighbor who is legitimately in need when we have the ability to do so. It is what we are supposed to do. There was a really moving um, example of this in the news just a few days ago. I caught the end of it and then went back and, and looked at it again. But in North Dakota, in a very small rural farming community of about a thousand people, a, a farmer, 57 years old, had a serious heart attack while he was harvesting his crops. 
I was taken by helicopter then to the hospital, put in intensive care. But here's the thing that was so moving. Within two hours of him being put on that helicopter, his neighboring farmers were there with their equipment to harvest his crops. They left their own fields where they were in the middle of harvesting their own crops because they knew that he was a neighbor in need. Nobody even had to be called. They just showed up. And what I most appreciated uh, about this was the commentator or the the news reporter closed out the story with with these words. He says, he, he said, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, it is. That's very biblical. We are to do those kinds of things. We are to take care of our neighbor in need, even those who don't necessarily like us because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. He he left his home to take care of us and and he withheld nothing good from us. I mean, not even his own life. And, And here's the point. Unlike us, he didn't have a moral obligation to do that. He just wanted to. And that's the good news of the gospel. We get what we do not deserve because of the goodness of our God. And we are now to live that out with our neighbor. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we um, fall so far short of living this kind of life. We extend kindness perhaps to those we really like or to those who have extended kindness to us, but we struggle with those who are our enemies or people who are not friends or people who have maybe done something against us. But Lord, help us more and more to to live into the gospel and to be reminded of all that you have done for us so that we may do for others what you have done for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.